Welcome to the PK Experience. This is Peter King. I'm the host of the show. Today I sit down with Aisha Faines. I was about to say Alicia. Aisha Faines, who is a thought leader, a writer, an author, and media spokesperson on the popular Michael Baden show. She's been covered by various outlets like CNN, the Washington Post, and the Daily Mail, to name a few. Um, she came across my radar because she's somebody that has a voice in relationships. And I'm intrigued about relationships because of all the social changes that we've had in the last several decades. Obviously, the women's empowerment movement. Um, lots are going on between men and women right now. And I think it's imperative that we get clarity on what an ideal relationship looks like in our day and age today, given all of these changes. So she certainly is somebody that has uh, opinions and a voice in this space. And that's the reason why I reached out to her. And she said, yeah. So we actually cover a lot in this conversation um, that I think is is healthy and uh, thought-provoking. So with that, let's dive into the call. Here we are with Aisha Faines. All right, Aisha Faines, thank you so much for, for uh, joining me on the call today. I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I... Uh, <laughs> With a lot of the stuff, and you actually brought this up when we first started talking, you're like, hey, you, you've interviewed a lot of guys. <laughs> you know, have you ever yes. interviewed women? <laughs> and I'm like, I would love to interview women. Uh, I, you know, I've just been sort of focused on the masculine experience, and, and I have <laughs> some reason for that in my own, uh, my own journey. But um, people have been starting to ask me, women especially, like, well, well, what about the feminine journey? And what does that mean? And you've got these masculine archetypes. What about feminine archetypes and all that? Mm-hmm. So. I started to research a little bit, and that's how I kind of came across you and your work. And I was like, wow, you, you definitely have <laughs> opinions, and you are a force to be reckoned with. And I thought you would be a, an interesting person to have a dialogue with, for sure. So again, thank you for, for taking some oh, time. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so I am curious, just out of the gate, what mm-hmm. your aim is with, with all the stuff that you're doing. What is your purpose? What is your vision with what you, uh, with all the work that you're doing? Sure. I think that our our society and our world is at a very interesting place right now where we're seeing that the way we have governed ourselves, the way we think about money, the way we think about resources, the way we think about love, the way we think about masculine and feminine isn't exactly serving us. <laughs> and I think we're finding ourselves in sort of uh, these situations that require sort of a sense of urgency. So climate change, for example, that's something that is a big signal that the way we uh, treat our environment, the way we produce things, we have to change something or else we will sacrifice humanity. So that's just one example, violence, terrorism, all of those things. And I think one of the things that's missing is a proper understanding of the feminine. Mm -hmm. And I almost hate the word feminine because I think that in other societies and other cultures, they would they might say yin versus yang, so that there's more of an understanding that it's just two dynamics, it's just two modes of consciousness, is not necessarily attached to a vagina. I think because we use the word feminine, people assume that we're talking about women in particular, and I and I think that we need more of the feminine, meaning um, qualities of creativity, conservation, imagination, cooperation. All of those things, I think, need to be incorporated into every level of society. So my goal is to equip women, because I do think it will probably be women who sort of lead the way in sort of incorporating more of the feminine elements into our society, um, 
helping women sort of understand what real femininity is and not sort of what Hollywood says it is, but what it really is and where the power lies and what they have to add to relationships and to to governance and to um, corporations, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think broader, um, it's also to understand, help men understand how to um, better tap into the feminine aspects of them, because I think that there are masculine aspects in women and feminine aspects in a man. And I think that we sort of uh, reach our highest selves when we sort of um, realize both of those, fulfill both of those potentialities. Yes, I'm on 100% agreement with all of that. I do think that we are in an interesting time right now. Um, and I've recently had conversations with, uh, with others as well where we're talking about how First and foremost, I agree with you that you know you have a masculine and a feminine energy or masculine and feminine qualities, if you will, that both men and women possess yeah. and express. Um, mm-hmm. And I do agree with you that uh, women probably better understand and exude the essence of femininity. Yes. So yes. I look to women to lead on that, and I would yes. I would say the reciprocal is true with men and masculinity. Yes. Um, even though women can go out and dominate and charge and, exactly. and have masculine and vice versa. Yep. Um, so what what is that ideal for you? What does that look like? Because the conversations that I have had, mm-hmm. you know, women have come a long way in the last several decades. I mean, light years in, in yes. half a century. Um, and so we do have this new dynamic. We do have a new relationship. But at the same time, there's also, you know, there's voices that'll say, you know, we need to preserve traditional roles and there's value in that we need to Mm -hmm. you know progress and we need to move forward and let go of some of those traditional roles and then there's other people that just say we're all just one and it's it's all of any type of identity is confusion and so we just all need to be one and I look at all those and I say I think there's probably truth in all of that Mm -hmm. so where does that all kind of come together and what does that actually tangibly look like in your mind for that ideal woman Okay, so I'm gonna try not to like go on a tangent because I, I feel my mind wanting to do certain uh, different things. No, but that's okay uh, too. We might do that. <laughs> the first thing I would say is women should be able to do what it is they want to do. So when a woman says I want to stay home and take care of my children, I applaud that. When a woman says I want to go out and be a boss and run a Fortune 500 company, I applaud that. When a woman says, I want to backpack and see the world, I I think women should be able to do whatever it is. I don't look at a housewife, a trophy wife, or CEO yeah. <laughs> any differently. Um, I do think we need to like question what our concept of traditional, so when we say traditional roles, that's one of the things that I think my work is, is to sort of unpack and really just reimagine how we see femininity because I think that when we say traditional femininity, it's femininity defined in masculine terms. Mm -hmm. So it's a very reductionist idea of what femininity is. So if masculine is strong and strength, then femininity is weakness. If masculinity is heroism, which I actually think that it really is masculinity is about being a hero. I think men sort of step into themselves when they sort of overcome some challenge and really, you know, um, but then the reverse would be that, you know, women are victims and women need savings. So I think that a lot of our concept of what femininity is and our concept of what traditional femininity is, is oppressive and repressive. And it doesn't serve women. It doesn't serve men. And it doesn't serve society. So I totally champion 
women, of course, who want to be at home being at home, but also having women uh, out in the world, um, in politics, in business, um, in their communities as uh, change, agent, change, change agents in their communities, as activists, et cetera, in the classrooms, et cetera, because I think that um, we need uh, like I said before, masculine feminine principles at all levels of society. To me, what that would look like is, you know, I think we've become a very production-oriented society. We've become a very greedy society. Um, and, and to a certain extent, we've become a society that is sort of, ha is is progressive, but sort of the, the very things that have allowed us to be a progressive society and allowed us to advance technologically are now coming back to to bite us. So if you look at our society, it's a very masculine society. We look at the qualities of masculine, you know, assertiveness, um, linear thinking, logic, sort of this idea of winning. Um, and that's all great. I think that's actually a good thing. But I think when you have a society that is too much in that way, then you have a society where, yes, there are people who are winning, but then there are people who literally can't eat. Mm -hmm. um, you have a society where, yes, we're producing, but we're also killing the environment because we're not um, thinking about conservation. Uh, you have a society where in schools, for example, we're teaching about, you know, math and science and everything, but we're not teaching children how to be creative and be inventive. And right now, what our economy needs most is innovation. Um, we have a society where we champion IQ, but not necessarily EQ. Um, we have a society where we're not as cooperative. We have a society that we have too much violence, and now we're thinking about what do we do about this violence um, issue. So I think what that would take is not just women being in uh, in the room, because we have women in the room, but women being in the room, but leading uh, from their strengths. Mm -hmm. So women in the room championing cooperation, women in the room championing innovation, women in the room saying, okay, if we are going to do this to take our company here, how are we doing this to guarantee that our employees are making a fair wage? How, how are we going to guarantee that our employees have health insurance as well? So what it looks like to me is sort of balance mm -hmm. coming in and leading and allowing uh, organizations, communities, bringing sort of balance that I think is very much missing. I, um, I, I agree with you in the, in the, that the balance is definitely missing, but I also yeah. think, and, and I'm just, I think I'm just echoing what you're saying right now, which is it's, it's the balance, but also the evolved uh, evolution of, yeah. of what the masculine and the feminine is, and then achieving that balance at a higher level, Absolutely. because I really feel like we're we're at immature levels right now. What what yes. the, the same way that you're looking at women and saying there's another level and we need to we need to up that standard or re remember who we really are and honor and cherish yeah. that. I yeah. I'm feeling the same thing with men. I look at you mm -hmm. know a lot of men and I oh, look absolutely. at men that are uh, I see men that go wrong in one of two ways. They either take their strength and they use it to abuse to bully, mm -hmm. to push through or whatever, or they take their strength and they put it in their back pocket and they don't use it and they become pushovers, yes. right? Yes. Um, so I, I think that there's, I think there's, we, yes, there is that yin-yang compatibility, but I think we need to mature and, you know, re-recognize what I both of those ideals are. I wholeheartedly agree. I think that not only are women tasked with 
rethinking femininity, but so are men. Mm-hmm. Because I do think you have men who are sort of, I, I think both for both aspects of feminine and masculine, I think there are lower and higher aspects. And I think both of both men and women are sort of working in the lower aspects of of their expressions, if you will. I think for for men, when I think of masculinity, I think of leadership. Yes, I think of heroism. I think of protection. I think of legacy, um, which is which is big a deal because you're thinking down the line. You know, um, what will the ultimate impact? of what I am doing today be. And that's very powerful to think of it like that. Um, and I, I think of all those things, I, I do think of virility. Um, and I think a lot of times we sort of tend to classify masculinity sort of as power, but in power we in, in the sense of controlling others. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to necessarily be power. Um, we tend to think of masculinity as you're not able to express your emotions. Um, and I think that's not realistic because if you don't express your emotions, they are still there. They just come out as rage. <laughs> right. They don't go anywhere. They just come out as rage and anger. There's uh, many anger. men that are dealing that, that that deal with that, and they don't yeah. know how to harness that. And they're going, I, I don't know why I keep snapping. I'm snapping at my kids. I'm snapping at my wife. I'm snapping at work. I'm miserable. I'm, yes. You know, I'm like, where is it? They don't know how to actually harness that energy and, and let it come out in productive ways. Exactly. Um, one of the things that I would, I would challenge you on though a little bit is uh, you said a little bit earlier that, you know, on the one hand, men are heroes and therefore women are victims or men are strong and therefore women are weak. Maybe I'm misinterpreting or, or taking that's, some I of this. Think that's the, um, I, I was saying that's the false dichotomy that okay. a lot of us buy into. What is so? Because I would look at that and I would say, Strong doesn't necessarily have to be the opposite of weak. Strong could be the opposite of vulnerable or... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and and that hero is... The antithesis to hero is not necessarily, um, you know, victim. It could be worthy to be protected, you know? You're you're absolutely right. I just... I, I personally believe that we have defined women as the opposite of men. And we and because we don't fully understand masculinity in its highest potential, mm-hmm. then what we have with femininity is we've taken what we what we believe masculinity to be, which is strong and heroic and a leader, and we said, Okay, so women are the opposite. So if men are the lead, then women follow. Yes, okay. If men are heroes, then women are the ones that need the saving. And you're saying that that's that's a false thing. That's what I'm saying. And and I think they're not opposites. I think they are complements. Yes, okay. Not necessarily opposites. And that's why I think a lot of a lot of our idea of what femininity is, especially traditional femininity, is very reductive because we just take in masculinity and say, okay, well, everything, femininity is masculine light. It's everything that masculinity is not. Mm -hmm. Then that's a woman. And that's not true. They yeah. work together. It's not just an opposite thing. Agreed. I, I think um, sometimes f- people mistakenly think, like, just to reiterate what you were just saying, is that, mm-hmm. like, masculinity and femininity exist on the same plane. And if, yes. if you dial up more masculine, then exactly. you're less feminine. And exactly. What I try to communicate to people is that they're, you can be way more masculine and just have mm-hmm. underdeveloped feminine or vice yes. versa. It's yes. just... They're not opposites. They work coherently together and that both can be developed. Um, yes. So what does that mean on a practical level? Or let me actually ask you this more specific question because I get this a lot where, 
you know, you do have women that are kicking ass in the workforce and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going out and slaying the dragon or whatever. And then (laughs) they also are miserable in their relationships or they don't have a relationship because, quote unquote, men are, you know, intimidated by them or whatever. (laughs) So what does a strong uh, woman in today's 21st century look like to you? In a way where she still honors her femininity and gets to have that yin-yang in a relationship and in life. Exactly. Um, I would say that, first of all, it's a woman who feels entitled to to live out her destiny. So that's the first thing. So whether or not she feels her destiny is in academia or Fortune 500 company or raising her children, that's she's doing what she feels she was called to do. So that's the first thing. Um, Secondly, I would say that it's a woman who has inner strength. I think women have the potential to be, I mean, of course they can lift weights and do those things as well, but I think our strength is really more internal versus external. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I look at that in the sense of women, we go through cycles, we go through menstrual cycles, we go from being a a, 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 a daughter to, you know, being, being able to give life to being a wife, to being a mother and there, and then to menopause. And so in some ways our body takes us through cycles, whether we're ready or not, Yes. you know, so whereas with masculinity, it's, you, you go through stages in your life, you know, and events that will kind of make and shape your life and bring you to your next evolution for women, ready or not, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and women tend to be also, I think, when they tap into their to their inner strength, they tend to be very good at at at, at going through hard times because they have that emotional alacrity, if you will. They have that potential to feel those emotions, go through those emotions, survive those emotions, and allow those emotions to um, ultimately make them better people. Um, so I think it looks like inner strength. I think it looks like a woman that's in touch with her sensuality. I think that's power. I think that there's power in creativity and power in sensuality. And sensuality is not necessarily sexuality. Sexuality centers around the act of sex. Um, a woman can be sensual 24-7, not necessarily just when she's having sex or not, just, not necessarily just when she has on lingerie. Um, and I, so I think it's a woman who dances or paints or walks in nature or whatever it is that she needs to do to connect to her spirit and to connect to her creative self. I think that's how we find balance. And I also think that's a form of strength. I mean, sensuality is not only how we make sure that we, you know, maintain this procreative ability so that we can continue having babies, but also that we maintain our creative abilities and creativity is necessary for everything. Creativity is necessary when your family's in a you, you walk into the house and, and the grocery store is closed and there's five ingredients in the kitchen and you have to make dinner. That's mm-hmm. creativity. Mm-hmm. But creativity is also sitting in the boardroom and you've got one hour to the market closes and you have to make a decision. And one, two, three, that's creativity. So creativity serves women in so many ways. But I think it is also the essence of who we are. We're creative beings. We're yes. procreative beings and we're creative beings. The world needs our creativity. So I think that's the one thing I think a lot of women probably neglect in part because our society tends to look at um, sensuality and tends to look at um, creativity and you know the arts and dance and beauty and all that as sort of extraneous and I actually think it's a really key uh, 
a, a key thing for women to sort of maintain access to. I'm a, I actually am a competitive salsa dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though in my everyday life, I'm always like reading and writing or speaking and it's a very cerebral life, if you will. I think for me, that's how I have balance. Um, you know, and, and I think that's the one thing a lot of women are missing as particularly women who are in corporate America, because the rules of corporate America were written by men. So when you come in, if you want to survive, you have to play the, a man's game. So you are tapping into your masculine aspects. You have to be assertive. You have to be aggressive. You have to go for what you want. Of course, you can use your charm and your persuasive abilities and your ability to make allies. But if you're not assertive and aggressive out in the real world, you're not going to get what you want. So a lot of women are so dialed into that, that they sort of neglect um, maintaining sort of that creativity and that sensuality that is a source of our strength. So well, I think I think there's a missing quality, at least in my limited perspective, mm-hmm. uh, that women, I believe, possess at an S, you know, at a full essence better than men do which is the idea mm-hmm. of grace and I, mm. I i think that grace has a lot of power in the workforce in relationships in governance in mothering Uh-oh. um and to me grace is that calm you know confidence. what i can't hear you now oh, you there yeah if you said something for the last 10 seconds i didn't catch it okay well, i was just talking about the idea of grace mm-hmm. um and how i think grace is a quality of power that women and women Perhaps, you know, I don't mean to be controversial, but perhaps more naturally possess or more mm-hmm. naturally express that idea of yeah. radiant grace. And yes. I think that's a missing component in the workforce and in relationships mm-hmm. um, across the board. So uh, I'm, I agree with you. I you mentioned, uh, you know, women's cycles and things like that. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think that there is a, a biological element in male female genders that then tap into those deeper spiritual masculine and feminine energies if you will mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the a woman's body being you know built to open you know to mm-hmm. receive uh, mm-hmm. uh, the the emotional cycle t- that that helps you connect to things mm-hmm. and your intuition um, yes I, I have you know you have some voices like i was saying before that are that that talk about traditional masculine and feminine. And I look at it and I say, well, there is biological, like men are just built stronger. Men are, mm-hmm. on a whole are stronger are. than women physically. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's a place for that. I think there's a natural symbiotic relationship between, mm-hmm. you know, from, from a biological standpoint. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm grateful to hear that you have, that, that you're connected to that as well, because I do think that sometimes women get off thinking, um, get off track, I should say, get, mm-hmm. um, thinking that, oh, I need to be masculine or I need to be strong and and have an inauthentic expression of it, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, As and they, the, I mean, they forget and they, they suppress their natural ability to, to be open to to feel, to connect, to that that's untapped power as, as far as I see Exactly. It. I mean, it's power in the way that water is powder, power. You know, water can drizzle, but water could totally erode. I mean, water can be more powerful than rock if you give it enough time. Mm-hmm. And I do think that women have that yielding power. I think it's not a coincidence that when we uh, look at female deities, if you will, if you look at an Aphrodite, if you look at an Oshun, um, if you look at any number of, um, you know, Venus, any number of 
female deities that sort of represent female sexuality and creation, they're associated with water. Or even the fact that the sacral chakra, which is sort of that central chakra, um, you know, that's near the ovaries is, again, so associated with the element of water. Um, because I think in many ways that represents women's strength, where water can literally take us all out tomorrow in <laughs> a hurricane. It is that powerful. It can slake and it can destroy. It's the but most it's de destructive force. It's the most destructive, um, uh, what do you call it, act of God, uh, if you will. Floods exactly. are... Yeah. Exactly. But it also gives life. It also sustains life. It's also yielding. Um, and I do think that's I think that's a great way of understanding what a woman's power is. And it's not necessarily that power of I mean, Sometimes women do have to tap into their masculine and be assertive and be aggressive. I do believe that. But I think a lot of times on a, on a day to day basis and one of our um, greatest potentials is that ability to find that happy medium, that ability to be vulnerable, that ability to be yielding or even persuasive in the sense that, you know, we have a power through attraction, you mm -hmm. know, a power through charm, mm -hmm. which is, again, represented I mean, through water. There's a great way of understanding it. I think if you see a woman enraged, like a mama bear, that's the hurricane right there, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, a woman defending her young, a woman defending her family, a woman defending something she feels very passionate about, that's the hurricane. But I think on a day-to-day -day basis, I think a lot of our power is that sort of soft power, that diplomacy, that grace, that compassion, that ability to gain allies through attraction, through charm, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I do think that's the source of our power as well. So let's let's go down that path a little bit because your, your whole um, message, at least from how I interpret it, um, you know, mm -hmm. your website is called Women Love Power. You talk yes. about um, the, the various archetypes um, mm -hmm. So for those that are listening who are not familiar with the concept of archetypes, we just look at we look at patterns of behavior and then we we identify those patterns in what we call archetypes so that you you know, in the masculine world, it's very things tend to be a little bit simpler and more <laughs> straightforward in the masculine world. So, you know, there's four archetypes that I traditionally point men to to, to help them better understand themselves and understand other men. Um, mm -hmm. But you've got, uh, let's see, was it 13 archetypes? So I have seven feminine archetypes, and then I created something called uh, seduction archetypes. Yes, yeah, so um, tell us about they that. Are, okay, so the seven feminine archetypes are, you know, your basic Jungian archetypes um, that you would find sort of in the Western canon. Um, and uh, that would be the maiden, the mother, the sage, the huntress, the uh, queen the lover, and the mystic. And you can all find them sort of in Greek, based in sort of what Greek mythology. So the lover would be sort of your Aphrodite, the sage would be your Athena, the huntress would be your Artemis, the maiden would be your Persephone, the mystic would be your Hestia, the queen would be your Hera, um, probably missing one. Um, but you get the point. Yes. <laughs> and I, I went in a little bit when I, even though that's where we get our basic archetypes from, I was sure to sort of expand and I think that myths are a great reference point for understanding archetypes because I think that the stories we tell each other are really stories about who we are yes. and particularly the ones that last for millennia or millennia, those characters that are unchanging really speak to the universality of the human condition and the characters that continue to recur. So I think that's why archetypes are so powerful. So 
when I looked at my feminine archetypes and I sort of came into my understanding, I not only looked to the Greek mm. canon, but the Greco-Roman canon, if you will, but I also looked at the Egyptian um, mythology. I looked at, um, you know, um, Sumerian mythology. I looked at um, uh, Yoruban mythology. I looked at, you know, the Hindu, so et cetera, et cetera. Um, the seduction archetypes are interesting. Um, my friend and I, a couple years ago, or really just engaged in this archetype thing. And we know, we, we were always having these discussions about these dynamic, seductive women, you know, like these um, uh, Eartha Kitt, if you will, or uh, Jacqueline Kennedy. And so we would have these discussions and we were having this archetype discussion and we said, well, what archetype do you think so-and-so is? And what archetype do you think so-and-so is? And we noticed that whenever you looked at a woman that was sort of known for really being captivating or beguiling, mm -hmm. She was not only like, a, for Jacqueline Kennedy, for example, she would not only be like a sage archetype, like an Athena, but that lover archetype was always present. And the lover archetype, that Aphrodite, is really indicative of that procreative, sensual, create, creative force that really acquires power through attraction. So when I created the, the seduction archetypes, which basically is you at your most captivating, it's really a way of looking at the traditional feminine archetypes when your lover is archetype is very active. So they're hybrid archetypes, if you will. So for example, I would be what's called the, I call the boss, but that means that uh, my dominant archetype is the sage. So I'm an Athena, which is not be a surprise to anybody. Um, <laughs> but I'm also like equal parts Aphrodite which is probably why I'm a salsa dancer too. Gotcha. Um, so together that creates the boss. So whereas what I would call the uh, sensualist would be somebody who was the lover and the mother together. So think of uh, Sophia Loren, uh, who has that sexual energy that clearly, <laughs> yep. really beautiful, voluptuous, but there's also something very open and uh, down to earth about her, almost earthy about her appeal mm -hmm. or... Um, uh, let's see, let's think of Beyonce, who's a mixture of the queen and the lover, because there's something very regal and glamorous about Beyonce. And we even call her Queen B because mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. she so evokes that archetype, I think subconsciously that we literally even call her Queen B. So that's how I created it. They're basically hybrid archetypes. Okay. So, um, just so that I better understand, I mean, the word seduction uh, yes. to me also implies manipulation that's my yeah, initial it's a i mean in the east in in our america we have a terrible understanding of seduction so, so yeah <laughs> i knew that, I, I didn't yeah. think that that's ultimately what you meant by it so help me better understand yeah. what you mean by seduction sure um i when i think of seduction i think of almost the french interpretation of the term which is to charm or to please you know, the French have a very seductive society, and that means is it doesn't revolve around sex, it revolves around pleasure. So two people might engage in conversation not to, you know, arrive at any particular point, but just to exchange some delightful repartee, you know, uh, you know uh, just a, a delightful conversation. Um, you know, if you have a dinner party and you're there and it's just nice conversation, that's, or... Um, and for example, the French think about, you know, when they go out, they dress up, you know, dress well, because you never know who, you know, who might see you. It's not necessarily to entice someone or titillate someone, but it's for pleasure. You enjoy dressing up. People enjoy seeing you looking exquisite. 
and it's a pleasurable society. And even if you look at the French society, they I think they topped the list of the soft power 30, which is the 30 countries that have um, that are the most powerful, but based on sort of soft power, so diplomacy, relationships, cooperation, that sort of thing. And France is number one. And it's because it's such a charming society, you know, so we attain our power through attraction versus through coercion. So when I say seduction, that's what I mean. I, I think it's seduction is a way of life that centers around pleasure and around sensuality and power attained through attraction and not coercion. I think in the in the West, and I don't know why this is, but we tend to look at seduction as a sexual word um, and as a dirty word and as a manipulation word. I think that has something to do with our fear of female power. I just think, you know, when you look at, for example, um, the 40s film noir, um, where you had these very beguiling women, but these women would kill you or they would, or they would lead you to your death. And those women spoke very... Uh, loudly to sort of this fear that women who were enchanting, you know, women who could draw you in by, you know, being a pleasure to be around and even a pleasure to look at and having that energy were somehow um, dangerous, you know, literally femme fatales would somehow lead you to destruction, which of course is not true, but it's almost this fear of, of I think, this, this um, masculine fear, and I don't think it's a universal fear, but a masculine fear of somehow being uh, somehow being enmeshed in a woman or somehow losing your 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 power to a woman somehow. Yeah, or somehow or even losing your ability to be to be logical and to be rational with a woman. Which I which is a which is which is a safe fear because there are a lot of men that do lose their ability <laughs> temporarily to be rational when confronted with a very beguiling woman. That's I mean that's no Oh uh, yes. Yes, I've seen that. <laughs> I've, yeah, so, um, but when I say seduction, I mean, I do mean, I, I really mean pleasure and I mean charm. I think that a, a good word would be charm. Okay. And so when I talk about seductive archetypes, I mean, what makes you captivating? What makes you that woman that when you walk into a room, people notice? Um, you know, how do you play up your most enchanting qualities that people are going to, oh, but that girl, yes, I remember her. Yes, did you see her? that woman. So I talk about captivation in that sense. So you, you're extremely passionate, enthusiastic about these ideals. I'm curious where that comes from. Like what, what in your background inspired mm -hmm. you to get into all of this? How did it evolve? <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I was always very, uh, always very creative. I've danced my whole life. Um, I started in ballet and I wonder if maybe that was the seed. I, I have no idea what the seed is. You know, my mom is um, a physician and she runs her own practice, but she's also very like exquisite, you know, always very put together and, you know, very beautiful and well-dressed and charming. And she can handle anything diplomatically. Just don't get on her bad side. Like, mm. you know. um, and so I wonder if my mom was the seed, you know, I don't know what the seed was, but for some reason I was always fascinated by fascinating women. Mm -hmm. You know, and I was surrounded by them growing up. I was surrounded by these very, you know, glamorous, smart, successful women. Um, and as I got older, you know, I would sort of read the biographies of the Josephine Bakers and Diana Ross and Jacqueline Kennedy. Those are my favorites. And I was just always fascinated by not only what is it that makes them so memorable, but it just always seemed like when I looked at the lives of these fabulous women, they weren't playing by the same rules that we tell other women to play by. 
You know what I mean? They may have had three or four husbands. <laughs> and that's not, you know what I mean? So that, that goes against our sense of what we tell women about loyalty. Or, you know, they may have um, taken the time to travel the world when other women would have been looking for a husband. Or they just never, you know, or even a Josephine Baker. I mean, she, you know, had to leave the United States because, you know, of her, the color of her skin. She would not have attained that success here. So she just left and went to Paris. I mean, these are women that really lived outside of the box. And I always found that very inspiring um, on a personal level. So for me, my hobby was always reading the biographies of fabulous women. That was a hobby of mine. Um, and then I think professionally, I arrived at this place because I started out, started off in TV news and um, discovered that I loved telling stories. I loved talking to people. I loved broadcasts. I did not like news. I found news to be depressing. I did not like the stories I was telling. It was like the same story every day, like how many murders and can you cover? Um, and so I came at this crossroads where I really had to figure out what was I going to do with the rest of my life? Because if I stayed in TV news, I was going to have to give it my all. I was going to have to move wherever. And I didn't think it was worth the sacrifice. And so I really had to sit and think about what could I do professionally that would allow me to use my skills, but use my skills um, to serve something I was passionate about and something that I felt like served my higher purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's how I arrived. Gotcha. I'm a low power. In reading, in reading through your website, you also mentioned that um, you dealt with crippling anxiety. What, yes. What? Tell us a little bit about that, and then what ultimately was a, a tipping point for you to to move beyond that? Yeah, um, I think I think there were whispers of it when I was in high school, but in high school it manifested as me being just sort of a perfectionist, um, you know, and being very uh, competitive and. And it manifested in straight A's, so nobody looked at it. Nobody thought <laughs> anything was wrong. I think it wasn't until I got to college where, you know, it wasn't so hard and obviously, you know, it was no longer like the best, where I really started feeling like I would be overwhelmed. You know what I mean? Like a one little thing, like an essay, you know, I had to write or, you know, a test that didn't go so well would somehow um, snowball into the world was ending. <laughs> You know what I mean? I had a really just a really hard time. Um, number one, I think believing in myself. I'm sorry, my phone is uh, believing in myself, but also um, just being resilient, being emotionally resilient. Um, and I think the breaking point was when I left TV and I returned to the New York City area and I was having to hustle. I was like, you know, I had this great resume and the phone was not ringing off the hook. <laughs> and so I was, you know, uh, bless you, going from sort of, you know, position to position and freelancing here and there. And I just felt like it was all very unfair because I was like, well, I followed all the rules. I got the great grades. I went to a great school. I did everything right. I don't understand why this is happening to me. And I felt like I almost you know, I, I, there were times where just really, that were really, really dark, you know? And the first thing I did was I really sort of began practicing almost mindfulness. You know, I started running. I started dancing again. I started um, engaging in central practices, like, you know, like taking a daily bath and just having that time, you know, for myself. Um, I started, uh, I said I started dancing again. I started getting into almost to crystals and to aromatherapy and just kind of just 
I kind of just stripped everything away and sort of got quiet, you know, started journaling. And I think a lot of those practices that allow me to be more mindful ultimately and also paying attention to what I ate and the connection between food and mood even, they just helped me get the strength to sort of go through my emotions but not let my emotions sort of overpower me. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to do that. And I think that was kind of, that sort of began to help me turn things around. I sort of learned how to kind of, you know, um, harness my emotions, if you will, feel them, but not let them overpower me. Mm-hmm. Um, that I started to, things started to kind of get clear. And I re- also realized that everything that had happened in my life during that time when I was sort of like, um, I say I was hustling, but really I was you know, freelancing and writing and, oh, you want this project? I'll do this for you. All the skills I was learning um, and all the resilience I was learning, I would use, you know, ultimately to do women love power. So, I mean, I feel like that's something that a higher power wanted me to go through. So because I, he, I guess I feel like, you know, I don't know you know, if everyone's living is religious or not, you know, but I'm just going to say God. Um you know, wanted me to go through so that I would have all the tools that I would need for my real purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how I went through that. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> what would you say are, going off a little bit of an adjacent uh, turn here, what would you say mm-hmm. are some of the common um, hang-ups or roadblocks that women, that you see women run into that you can help them avoid? Sure. Uh, let's see. I would say... I think a lot of women deal with imposter syndrome and feeling like they are not worthy or if they are successful, why am I successful? Why is this happening to me? Or if they are not successful, feeling like, you know, it's never going to happen for me. And I think that maybe because in some ways our society teaches women that being selfless um, is sort of one of the hallmarks of femininity. Maybe that's one reason why, but I think a lot of women struggle with success and struggle with feeling worthy of success. Um, I think sometimes women struggle with um, really stepping out there and, you know, if you're going to be successful, you're going to have to create opportunity for yourself sometimes. Sometimes it's going to fall in your lap. Sometimes it's because you went and like you, you knocked on some doors. Mm-hmm. I think there are women that a lot of times are, you know, we're, we're sort of trained to be nice. We're sort of trained to be receivers, and that is necessary in certain cases, yes. But when it comes to really going for what you want and um, really realizing your destiny, um, I think that a lot of women sort of struggle with that assertiveness that you sometimes need um, and feeling that I am worthy and I'm entitled and this is okay. I can ask for this raise. I earned it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can start this business because I know I can do it. Um, and I, I think women, I, from what I, women I talk to and even my own experiences, I think a lot of it has to do with the way that we're socialized as women. That's the probably the biggest roadblock, just feeling worthy of success and feeling that you can go out and be assertive and shake hands and meet people and ask for meetings and say, Hey, can we do lunch? And let me tell you about what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, can you help me? A lot of women struggle with that. And I think a lot of men don't, 
<laughs> well, I, I, you know, I was just about to say, quite honestly, like I, I work with a lot of men and, and I just know in my own experience that mm-hmm. we absolutely do face those really? same issues. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and some of this too, I, I have found that the conversation changes a little bit depending on what region you're, mm-hmm. you're speaking to. So you're on the yeah. coast, I'm in the Midwest. You know, I find that um, that there are, are different conversations based mm-hmm regionally and I also yeah. find that there are different conversations based on one's upbringing and specifically one's relationship to their parents so mm-hmm. um, I deal with a lot of men who have the exact same issues I mean they they yeah. are to me human issues and not necessarily only related to men and women I do think that there are you know unique um, feminine uh, angles to it and, and yeah. also unique masculine ones as well but I, I know yeah. a lot of men who feel very um, trained if you will to to mm-hmm. be nice to be selfless yeah it's it's yeah. um that's I, so interesting well and don't get me wrong i, I i'm not saying that there aren't plenty of men who are like, screw that, like, who are very selfish, who are very narcissistic, who are very, <laughs> you know, bulldozed. Well, just assertive when they need to be. Yes. You know, yep. and they don't mind it. I think a lot of women, you know, sometimes it's not always polite to be assertive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes you winning does mean somebody else is going to lose. And I think that sometimes women will have a hard time with that or just feeling that you belong in the room. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of women that are even in positions of power that struggle with, ah, should I be here? <laughs> Was this a mistake? I yeah. really do to hide behind closed doors. But there's so many men made as well. I think many men do do feel that. You yeah. Know? Um, there's there's a there's a real pressure to be, you know, to live up to various masculine ideals too. I don't know that it's yeah. being communicated as much. I don't know that men are yeah. as open about it. And I do think culturally right now where we're at is. Um, and I'd be interested in your take on this, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, women empowerment. I mean, I have a young yeah. daughter. She's 12 years old. Everywhere I look, they're you know, yes. going to the bookstore and there's the, the girl power section and there's yes. heroines in every movie and, and all that, which is absolutely great. I love it. Yeah. But then I have a, a 10-year-old boy and I go, what's for who's him? his hero? Who's he looking yeah. to? Who's... Who's he, you know, trying to aspire to? And, you know, yeah. I do the best that I can as a father to try really to good. play that role for him. But mm-hmm. I, I don't see it as much. Maybe I'm just biased or I have a certain, you know, I can't see it or whatever. And, you know, I've, I've also gotten back, well, you know, it's such a patriarchy society that he's already given so many advantages just because he's a guy. But mm-hmm. but I see I see a lot of men that are lost because they don't have a sense of what does that hero look like in today's world that also can meet harmoniously a powerful attractive woman and i don't just mean physically but like a woman who's out there doing stuff too you know yeah i think that um i think that they're few and far in between um i think if you look at what we think of most of our heroes from which would be hollywood unfortunately it really is though um i think that we're still i mean i think hollywood sometimes it takes them a little bit longer to um change the template if you will because hollywood is so formulaic like this has worked so we're gonna you know we're gonna spend all this money we're gonna do something and we know that what works and so i don't think you see deviations from typical male characters in Hollywood, I think right now you're seeing more experimentation with feminine characters and finding strong female leads, again, because we are in this place. And I think not only in this place society-wise, um, but I also think some of it, I think sometimes things that happen to us are happening almost inevitably. 
subconsciously. I think that our I think that the universe leans towards balance. Yes. And so I think that literally our society is just so unbalanced right now that totally beyond our control, it's just going to shift towards the feminine just because it has to. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing. And I think there's going to be a lot of turmoil <laughs> over the next 100, 200, however long it takes. To sort of, I, there will be um, because I think the shift is inevitable. Mm-hmm. I, I think the shift is beyond us. Yeah, I agree. I agree that, that yeah. there's a there's a universal law, mm-hmm. universal principle of, of harmony. And if that yes. uh, is unequal, it, like nature always seeks equilibrium. Always exactly. seeks balance. And so if it's exactly. out of balance, it's going to yeah. seek it. So I see that. But here's exactly. here's the interesting take, and we, we might have an interesting dialogue on this because I was speaking with a friend of mine over uh, the, the spring, and he mm-hmm. was saying, you know, it is out of balance, but it's out of balance because we're way too masculine. And he's like, look at all the, t- you know, all the, the poor leadership and, you know, the violence and all this. We need more feminine to balance it. And I, I have a different perspective on it. I look at it and I say mm-hmm. we have – unhealthy masculine and what what we're really needing is a more mature more developed more uh, healthy masculine to then therefore protect and give space for Mm -hmm. the feminine and i don't mean to say that from a place of oh i'm a man and 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 it's and and i am the one that allows the the woman to have space but i do believe that there is this goes back to the biological thing for me is like men are physically stronger men have uh perhaps a more natural wiring to to be assertive, to be aggressive, to whatever. So they do. Yeah. if if good men rise up in strength and power and say, we need to give space for and let women develop and let's meet them as equals, like mm-hmm. that to me is is the pushback that I, I personally would like to see to, to push back sort of an unhealthy version of masculinity that I'm seeing a lot in the world, an immature masculinity, as mm-hmm. opposed to we need to love our way. We, we need to love this hate away. You hear that all the time. Yeah. Love trumps yeah. hate. I'm like, well. Yeah. But. I would agree with you and your friend. I would think. I, I do agree that our society is hyper masculine. And I think a part of that is because we've oppressed the feminine. I think the reason why I can have a career like this. And there are, every day there's another woman that wakes up and says, I want to do what Aisha's doing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just a growing uh, space. Mm-hmm. Is because a lot of the ancient wisdom surrounding what femininity looks like and some of the power within femininity, a lot of those things have been lost for millennia. Mm. Um, so I think that there, I think that the divine feminine, if you will, has been repressed, um, particularly in Western society where we vilify sensuality, we vilify sexuality. Um, you know, creativity takes a back seat. Um, so I, I do think there's been a repression, and, and, I, and, I don't, and I don't actually mean that in oppression. There has been an oppression, too, but I think there's literally been a repression of, of the feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're seeing an awakening happening, and I think it has to happen. Um, but I also think that not only are we a very masculine society, but we are masculine in a very immature way, mm-hmm. to borrow your words. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, sh- I would say I think both you and your friend are both right. Yeah, I, I think yeah. so, too. I think so, too. Yeah. And I think, yeah, we're both pointing at the same thing from a, from yeah. a different perspective. Yes. Um, I, I was going to say though about creating space is a really good point. Um, and I'm going to one point beyond that. Uh, one of the things is I think if you want to understand the dynamics of uh, masculine and feminine, um, one of the things I 
I hate about where we are as a society, particularly my generation, which I guess would be millennial and Gen Z, is that we don't partner dance anymore. So our music doesn't really give to partner dancing. You can't really partner dance to like mm-hmm. hip hop or to rock. Like, <laughs> doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, but up until I would say about the seventies, every generation has had a partner partner dance. Whether it was a jitterbug or whatever you got the waltz, the Vienna waltz, whatever you did, you men and women danced together. And what I discovered when I started salsa is you actually learn about masculine and feminine feminine dynamics in a way that is beyond that defies language mm-hmm. when you dance with as a woman when I dance with a man or as a man when you dance with a woman because for men they do have to be very strong leads they have to know where they're going they have to hear the music they have to know what they're doing so they kind of have to be one step ahead mm-hmm. because they're actually leading and they have to be very confident in that lead because in the moment I have to sense where you're taking me and I have to react in the moment. Yes. So whereas the man is leading and thinking forward, I'm intuiting. I can feel that subtle push on my shoulder and I go, boom, okay, I know that's a turn. And it's an intuition. It's not me thinking about it. Like I'm totally not in my head. It's my intuition that takes over. Mm-hmm. And what a man is really doing when he's leading is he's creating space. Mm-hmm. So he's setting me up so I can do my dance. So each time he get, leads me in a turn pattern, his hands go here, his hands go here. He's created the space for me to do my turn, to do my dip, to do my whatever it is that I'm going to do. Um, so it is actually a series of a man leading confidently and comfortably and creating the space for the woman to do her thing and show off. That's such a and powerful. That's, yes, it's very powerful. And I honestly did not understand it. And I think there's still dynamics that I would not even be able to put into words. Mm-hmm. But I get it when I'm dancing. I consistently hear that from people who who do partner dancing. Oh, they yeah. Consistently say the exact same thing where, yes. oh, I totally understand masculine <laughs> feminine uh, energy in the symbiotic relationship way better simply by stepping dance. into it. Uh, yeah. That's and I think that's why partner dancing has his, I mean, for millennia, men and women danced together. That's like a cultural thing. It's scary that we don't do it anymore. That's such a good point. You're right. I mean, and grinding is not really dancing. No. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you do see it's, that. Really, it's really scary that we, when I when I really realized how significant it was is when you partner dance, you can meet people in a safe way and engage them physically and centrally, but in a very safe way. There's no touching. There's no. You know, nobody's touching my chest or my butt or anything like that. We are great. We are touching, but there's no inappropriate touching. Mm-hmm. You're not like sandwiched together, but it's still sensual. It's still fun. It's still very flirtatious. You know, the bachata is very sexy, um, but you're leading and following. You're engaging each other. It's been a space for people to meet respectfully, flirtatiously, playfully, um, and I see why societies have relied on this form of gathering and understanding and connection for thousands of years. Yes. It's very scary that we don't have that. That's really fascinating. You're right. You're totally right. I'm, I'm like, you're, my mind is thinking right now. My <laughs> sister uh, is way into West Coast Spring. Uh, West yeah, Coast West Spring. Spring. And she's, yeah. you know, she's gotten way down that, that road and she's very, very good. And it's, you know, we'll have conversations and she talks about that in the same way that you do. Like it's, yeah. it's beyond words. It's just, yeah, it all it comes is. together. Like, boom. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Question for you. What, what was your relationship like with your father? 
I am very close to my father, which okay. probably should come as my mom would say that I have his personality. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my um, so my father was just graduating law school when I was born. So when I was a baby, he was studying to the bar. So there are pictures of me in one hand and the books in the other. Um, he always had the more, because he had a legal career, he could schedule his clients around my schedule. So my father was the one that, you know, my mom was kind of like really, really, really busy. Um, and I'm very close to her. But when I was younger, I was probably a little bit closer to my father. Um, yeah, we probably spent more time together. And um, my dad did not. I feel like my father would have treated me the same way if I was a boy. Like he didn't, um, I didn't have a rough and tumble childhood. You know, I went to dancing school and all that. I wore my hair in bows, but um, he emphasized intellect. He emphasized books and he always emphasized the idea that my value didn't come from what I looked like, but what from what I had to contribute to the world. So his famous saying was, I didn't raise you for a man. I raised you for the world. That's his fa famous saying. You've been yeah. very blessed. Yeah. Not that he doesn't want me to get married. <laughs> no, of course not. Somebody else have a headache. But uh, <laughs> but I, I get what he meant by that. Yeah. Um, oh, that's such yeah. a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so you mentioned on, on one point of your uh, – I noticed on one of your blog posts that you talked about nice women – this goes back mm -hmm. a little bit to what we were talking about before, the, the, the one always being selfless, always giving. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about that because I, th I think a lot of women, uh, you know, on the one hand, you have sort of your personality type, which is very competitive and they're confident and they're assertive mm -hmm. um, and maybe deal with a lot of anxiety because that perfectionism is always Absolutely. hanging over them, right? But then yep. on the other hand, you have the nice woman who's constantly, no, 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 it's okay, you, you know, letting other people go ahead. Talk about that a little bit and how that maybe in some ways is helpful, but also maybe some ways not serving them or not as effective to help them achieve happiness and joy. And this is one of the aspects where I say, because I think as a woman, our ability to be compassionate is a beautiful thing. And our emotions are a beautiful thing because our emotions allow us, allow us to empathize with other people. And, and, and so I think that's one, reasons why, one of the reasons why women are nice because we naturally empathize. Um, but then we're also socialized to be nice in, I think, a way that is, um, doesn't always serve us. Mm -hmm. So we're socialized to sort of, you know, I think being polite is one thing. I think being nice is sort of wanting to preserve the peace at all costs, even if it means you don't get what you want. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, go ahead, of me. go ahead of me. No, you're fine. Oh, I'm not going to go for that. I know she really wants it. You know, oh, I don't want to do that. That might seem too forward. Um, and I think this is one of the aspects where, it's great for men, women to have a bit of the masculine. I think the masculine rounds out our womanhood mm -hmm. because we're, of course, you need to be selfless. Any woman that has any creature that has a, a person falling out of them has to have the ability to be selfless, mm -hmm. <laughs> take care of something. Yes. Um, but, you know, when it comes to providing potentially for that creature or just going for something that you really feel is a part of your destiny, there are going to be times when you're going to have to go for what you want and maybe it does not allow you to be nice. And I think a lot of women have a hard time in those moments letting go of this need to be liked. Mm -hmm. One of the places I think it happens, unfortunately, is in the dating scene. Mm -hmm. And it's very dangerous because we have this hookup culture where casual sex is sort of very prevalent. And a lot of women, and I don't 
think women like to talk about it, but a lot of women get hurt. Um, and I think a lot of women sleep with men sometimes because they're being nice. Because mm-hmm. he took me to dinner once or twice, and now we're in his place and we're night capping, and I don't know how to say, I don't really, you know, I don't know, it's a little early, I'm not exactly comfortable, I'm just going to go with the flow because I'm going to be nice. Mm-hmm. And so that's one example in which, you know, being able to say what you want and speak up for yourself, you know, and be clear about what you want and demand that is is a good thing. Um, I I was at a I was at a workshop um, not too long ago, and uh, not only I think do women sometimes do that even in a casual situation or in a dating situation, but there was uh, there was a, a married couple that were madly in love with each other, beautiful relationship, and um, and we were talking about their their sexual relationship. They were being very you know open and very vulnerable with us and sharing, mm-hmm. but and and they basically said that. She said, you know, that yes, I, I say sex because I say yes to sex to him because I know he wants it and I want to serve him and whatever. But yes. she kind of was, she her needs were not being met. Her, she didn't feel connected. She wasn't, right? And so she was saying yes, yes. even in a marriage. And they yes. went through this incredibly powerful uh, exercise. You know who Esther Perel is? Yes. She yes, was there. I love her. She was coaching and leading them through this thing. And, and she had mm-hmm. the two of them stand and face each other about 10 yards apart and then everybody else was in a big circle around them and she Mm -hmm. said to the husband she said i want you to approach her and then she turned to the wife and she said i want you to say no to him five times Mm. and and they kind of like oh okay ha 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 whatever it just felt a little awkward or silly whatever and he and then she and then she said whenever your wife says no i want you to say to her uh, i'm getting this a little bit mixed up but this is more or less the gist of it Whenever she says no to you, I want you to say to her um, something along the lines of, I hear you, I respect you, and, and then he'll stop. And then he'll say mm-hmm. something like, and I love you, or, or, or something to that effect. I forget exactly. So they start to go through this exercise, and he starts to approach, and she says no, and she's kind of laughing a little bit because she feels mm-hmm. awkward. And, and he laughs a little bit, and he says what he needs to say and stops. And then she come, he comes forward, she says no again, and then on that third no, it was as serious as cancer she said no and and she just tears started rolling down her face and what came out was that she never had the courage to say no because her no was taken away from her in an in a traumatic experience oh and so oh my god it was the most powerful experience and and then he starts bawling understanding i get it i've been i've been you know unconsciously yes. not meeting your need. And, and so, oh, it was so powerful. And so when they got up close together and she was saying no. So anyway, I share that example because wow. that no equals value. That no mm-hmm. equals worthiness in herself. Yes. It was such a beautiful example of, of that dynamic. And oh man. I'll, uh, I'll I actually that. think that no is the most powerful word in the English language. And <laughs> It it's a one of like toddlers love it when toddlers learn the word no it's like no like it's just for fun right. it really is though because it's like the ultimate expression of power it's like no like i i'm asserting my will yes um the other thing that people don't think about too is a no is a yes no means yes to something else yes and I, when i say no and this is a boundary what i'm saying is yes to you need to be patient yes, yes. i'm worthy yes mm-hmm. i'm i'm worthy of you demonstrating a little bit more trust and whatever. Yes. Um, oh no my God. That's so yes. powerful. Yeah. And, uh, so powerful. And even with sex, I, I think one of the reasons why 
women don't look at it as a power is because you're socialized to look at it as a service. So your body is not, I think a lot of women truly have so many issues with their bodies because the signals we get from society is that your body isn't yours. Number one, you're constantly told what you have to look like. Your thighs are too big. You don't have abs. Da, 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 da. So in, in that regard, you're being told how your body has to, to shape or vanish or you have to be less. And then you were told that sex is for the pleasure of man. Oh, he divorced her. The sex probably wasn't good. Like, you know, like yeah. you're, you're, your body is of service to a man. Or you're a mother, so you're being a vessel to bring another human being into the world. But in all those regards, your body isn't actually yours. Your body is belongs to society telling you what it's supposed to look like, to the men who are entering you, and to the children who are coming through you. Yeah. And a lot of women, I think, have issues connecting to their body and issues with intimacy because they never really take ownership of their body or acknowledge how powerful sex is. And I tend to think, that in our society, we tend to look at sex as a very anatomical thing. You know, if this and this are happening, then sex is happening. I think sex is a very spiritual thing. I think it's an energy exchange. And I think it can be very healing for both men and women. I think women can be a tremendous source of healing for men, particularly when they take ownership of their body, when they relish in it, yeah. when they take pleasure in it. And it's a gift I'm giving you, not an act of service. Yes. You yes, know, I'm, I'm sharing a, you. I'm not 100 in agreement with you. To me, it's the just the the, the um, deeper intimacy that you're talking about in the dance, yes. in a salsa dance. It's you know, it, it's the ultimate expression of the union between the masculine and the feminine. In my, yes, in my perspective, absolutely. Um, so uh, shoot, you said a couple things that I wanted to <laughs> to ask you again on. You were talking about uh, ah, it slipped my mind. Um. I got lost on. <laughs> you know what I was going to say? You said one of the hangups for women. I also think one of the hangups for women uh, that prevents them from living their best life, if you will, um, I think women tend to really care a lot about what other people think about them. <laughs> right. Um, you know, because we start, we grow up, you know, seeking the approval of our moms, you know, and then of boys and et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's one thing that women, a, a bad habit that women, not all women, but some women have to break. And then also this idea that your worth is connected to your beauty and to um, male validation. I think that is probably the number one thing that keeps women back. Uh, you're probably you're probably right. I'll take your word for yeah. it. Uh, not being a woman, <laughs> but you know, I, oh, this is what I was going to push back on. You just reminded me of it, which is you know you talk about that society tells you that you know you need to look a certain way or whatever. And mm -hmm. as a man, I'm always like. Is it, it does to you. is it society or is it just other women? Because I know many men that are like, I like thick thighs. I like this. I like that. There, there will be men that will line up to have sex with any woman, any shape or size. Well, you know, it's advertising so, culture and the advertising culture is very powerful. It um, is. It's very powerful and advertising. I mean, I think corporations have figured out how to sell things to women by creating um, displeasure. I don't so, disagree with yeah. that at all. I just think that... A yeah. lot, like the most pressure that a lot of women, I think, face are probably from other women. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I, on behalf of men, and I'm just going to use a very, you know, general, broad sweep here to say, like, I think most men are kind of like, we're okay with it. <laughs> Whatever. Like, yeah. You're yeah, fine. I, I would, you're you're yeah, great. You're beautiful. I, mean, I could even say, as a woman, the pressure I've experienced. Well, I grew up in ballet, so this is probably not normal, but I mean, I was told to lose weight from the time I was like, and I was thin. Was oh, ballet, that culture was, like, is so nasty. 
that so that's one example even though it's i mean it's it's the ballet world yes. but i will say that in school the pressure to be liked it's so subtle but the pressure to be liked by guys Very true. and even the pressure from even your parents who mean well, but they want you to, if you have a blemish, oh, we have a blemish, you need to you need to get rid of that. You need to take it to the dermatologist. It's this mm-hmm. idea that you do have to, you know, look your perfect. your value you know, is in your looks. Yes. And then as a black woman, I never look on the TV and see people look like me. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't see black women, but I don't see black women with my nose. I don't see black women with my lips. I don't see black women with my complexion. And I think that is something that's probably maybe difficult for people to understand. But when you don't even get validation from like Hollywood, like with and Hollywood saying this is what's attractive, this is what's beautiful, and you don't even get that, so you're like, okay, how are we supposed to think that? How am I supposed to think I'm pretty? So the pressure is there, even if it's not from men specifically. Yeah. Um, and then you do find dating wise that there are men that you know prefer certain. You know, there are women who look a certain way and they have more success. Sure. So you feel you do feel the pressure, even me being well, super. And I don't mean to I don't mean to minimize that at all. And I, uh, after all of it, what I just said, I also know that men are extremely visual and yes. that you know youth and beauty tend to be perceived as you know very very highly valuable, and there is value in it. Um, yeah. But I think women also, and maybe this kind of taps in a little bit more of what you're talking about is women. Mm-hmm at least in my perception, if they're the type of woman who thinks that it's youth and beauty that really matters, Uh you can sense a diminished spirit as they age, as they don't look like a Victoria's Secret model. And what I try to emphasize with women is your youthful spirit, which Uh knows no age, knows no form, is perhaps the most attractive thing about a woman. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there are women of all shapes and sizes and ages that have that useful spirit that's just a joy to be around. It's it's attractive energy regardless. Yeah, absolutely. It's your energy. And I think that, you know, I think our society very much focuses on sort of, you know, what is the word I use? I usually use, I can't remember what that word is right now, but sort of transforming yourself, looking like someone else, you know, mm-hmm. looking closer to the ideal. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, historically, you know, beauty has been about adorning yourself. You know what I mean? Sort of celebrating what you look like, you know, using makeup as a way of ex- self-expression, you know, your jewelry, your unique style, it's your creativity, it's your artistry, it's your, you know, it's something that we should take pleasure in. It shouldn't be this thing of I'm trying to disappear and be like something I'm not. It's yes. a celebration, and I, that's how I look at beauty. But, um, the, but there are, I think, a lot of women that do tend to, for whatever reason, attach their value to not just what they look like, but how similar they look to a certain ideal. And I think beauty can be a little bit politicized sometimes. Oh, for sure. And yeah, so I think a, w- a lot of women have a hard time escaping that, and a lot of women have a hard time escaping. I, I have friends who were very successful. Um, but the one thing that hindered them is that this feeling that, but I'm single, but I'm not married. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a distraction because it's like, if you want to be married, if that's your goal and you're open to that, it's going to happen. Because it's like anything else in life. Like, I believe our destiny is what we desire. Like, <laughs> if you want something bad enough, you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of women that experience such discontent and inner t- turmoil, and they give attention to such people who I maybe sense that and capitalize that and don't belong in their lives. And I know for women, 
And and I think for a man too, the worst thing you can do is be with the wrong person. Like the wrong person in your life could literally <laughs> ruin your life. Mm-hmm. I think that's for a man and for a woman. I and do I too. Think- I think sometimes that happens though for for spiritual purpose where you're brought together in unhealthy ways in unhealthy mm. ways for yeah. you to be exposed to those unhealthy ways. And that's that, true. And that's that true. pain sometimes open up, opens up a door to go, Very oh man, I, Very. I, Very. I need to rise above that. I need to develop this yes. better or whatever. Um, so I agree with you, but in a spiritual perspective, I also think that there's I should, I, I should totally wholeheartedly believe that you're yeah. attracted. But I think even when you're drawn to those people, you and those people are on the same like wavelength, yes. and then it's your choice to, to ascend. And I think there are some people who get stuck meeting the same person over and over and over again. Yes. And it's such a distraction. Yes, you know? and, not, and they don't learn the lesson, and, and the lesson yeah. tends to get more and more painful until, exactly. until they exactly. learn the lesson. Which yes. can be difficult when you think, you know, and you see this a lot with, you know, you're talking about nice women before, and I see mm-hmm. the same thing with either nice women or nice men, where mm-hmm. they um, enable other yes. people to be unnice to them because yes. they're so nice. And like, yeah. like that to me is that frequency that you were talking about a second ago that yeah. attracts somebody who's so nice, attracts somebody who's not as nice. Exactly. I'm so nice to put up with your not niceness. Exactly. It's right. literally, yeah, you're literally drawn to each other like magnets. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. Well, here's another thing too with, with going back to just women in our culture today. I, I see um, women also not being fully in a, in a tune with their bodies. And, and mm-hmm. I don't, I'm sorry. I don't mean that across the board. I'm just saying I see some women who are not connected to that divine feminine in yeah. a way that is that, that emanates from them. You know. Yeah, that's what I was speaking about earlier. I think that um, being connected to your body, um, being able to intuit when something is wrong, um, being able to own your sensuality, and just feeling grounded in your body. Mm-hmm. You can just sense that about mm-hmm. a woman. I think a lot of women aren't there. Um, I think in part, but I do, I, I think in part it's because we never really take ownership of our bodies. I, I mean, I think we, I think a lot of women really do view their bodies, whether they realize it or not, as for public consumption. Um, they don't really take ownership of their bodies. Mm-hmm. But I think all of it, a lot of it also is because, um, no, this is not a society that centers around, like when we go to see the arts, we pay a ticket to watch other people dance. <laughs> Whereas other societies that may be more sensual societies, that may be societies that celebrate the divine feminine a little bit more, People dance together, <laughs> you know, and it's a part, is an intrinsic part of their culture. Mm-hmm. That's not our culture. We pay to watch other people dance in front of us. We sit down on TV and we watch people dance in glittery costumes, but we're not dancing. Mm-hmm. We're not celebrating. A lot of us aren't using our bodies. And if we are, it's like we're on a treadmill, mm-hmm. like looking at the calories. It's not about really connecting. Totally. You're, you're yeah. very right. And, and so, like, I, Dancing is definitely something that really um, helps somebody embody the, mm-hmm. the deeper divine masculine and feminine. So mm-hmm. I think of I think of women who are not as connected with their body. Like dance is absolutely a way oh. to get reconnected to that that yeah. core divine essence, you know, yes. feminine energy. And same yeah. for men too to to yes. tap into more of that like because I know a lot of men that the, the nice guy men that are like, what do you want, honey? Where do you want to go tonight? You know, what should we do? It's like, <laughs> it's not leading. 
And yeah. you can't do that in a dance. You can't keep going, well, do you want to step over here? Or where it's do you want to go? It's the worst dance ever. <laughs> if a guy can't lead, it is the worst. <laughs> it's the, one of those things where I want to follow. I can't, I've literally said that to a man on the dance floor before. I said, I can't lead you. I'm a woman. I literally said that. I can't yeah. lead this dance. I'm sorry. You know, like, you got to know what you're doing. How did he take it? <laughs> Um, I think we were in a classroom setting, but he was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I got to get the turn pattern. It's like, I can't, I can't do it for you. I can only do what you, or if a guy says, I'm not sure what I'm doing, I'm saying, well, it's okay. I'm, I can only do what you leave me. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, um, but it's, it's very true. And I've actually been in situations where as recently the guy said, you know, he's, he was uncomfortable, you know, leading and it's really big turnoff. <laughs> it is. It's because not... I understand what leading leading doesn't mean you're dragging me. Yeah. Like leading doesn't mean you're coercing me, you're forcing me, or I'm kidnapped. I have no free will. Leading just means you're like creating a space, right, for us to do what we do. Yes. And yes. um and I, I just remember him saying that, you know, I, I want the woman to take the lead. Of course there's situations in a relationship where a woman will, you know, take the lead and sure. say, Hey, I'll make dinner plans or I'll suggest this, whatever, but Overall, I, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's a tur- that was a turnoff to me. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, I, one of the things that I help, I try to help men better understand is the, the power of intention. And mm-hmm. this I, intention, for the, for the average person, intention may sound like hope or like I intend to do this without action yeah. or whatever. Where, whereas what I try to help them understand is that real intention, at least from a masculine perspective, is I have a, I have a clear vision. I know yes. what I want. I know yes. where I'm going. But it's yeah. also... Uh, it, it's also um, open to input. It's mm-hmm. also open to oh, maybe there's a different path. You know, yes. so there's this there's this constant presence and awareness of receiving feedback, but then continue Absolutely. to decide and reintend based on what their vision is. Absolutely, and this will be my last dance analogy. But <laughs> it's a good one. When it, when a guy's a good lead, one of the things he's doing is he's actually paying very close attention to how the woman is responding. Yes. So he knows if, okay, I've been doing so many crazy turn patterns, this woman looks like she's she needs to take it easy <laughs> for a little, a little bit. Yeah, or she looks like, oh, she, you know what, she looks like she may need to you know, go slower, she, maybe she wants to go faster, but they're looking at you and they're sensing where you are and they're judging, they're, in, they're basing their intention on you. They have that compassion if you will. And I actually think compassionate leadership is actually what we need. I think leadership that is compassionate and considerate of the people that it's leading. I that's think that's the, like that's the awareness that I'm talking about. Like I can yeah. be singularly focused on a vision, but yeah. if I have blinders on and I steamroll, exactly. then I'm, yeah. I'm missing danger- out on the opportunity to potentially take it to another level or, or in a better way. So yeah. um, I want to go back real quick to you were talking about we were talking about sexuality and, and sex and how um, whether it's society society or whatever that mm-hmm. you know typically sex is very again I'm generalizing but very one dimensional where mm-hmm. where men you know men are much simpler beings and especially <laughs> when it comes to sexuality it, mm-hmm. it's it's a very clear like A to B thing yes. right yeah where and, and I, I mentioned this because it's a topic that doesn't get talked about I don't think enough mm-hmm. and and it does really speak to me to that deeper divine in both the masculine and the feminine and it, mm-hmm. it, it this goes right back to the dancing analogy too and, and for the masculine to to have awareness 
Because yeah. the feminine body, the feminine sensuality, sexuality is not as linear. It's not linear. It's not organic. at all. It's actually cyclical. Right. Yeah. And so uh, it's to the masculine that's very purpose driven and point, you know, what's the point? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a total conundrum. It's a total enigma, you know? Yes. Um, so what advice do you have for people in relationships to better understand uh, and for women, A, to have a voice, but like, what does that look like on a practical level? What does that, what does that sound like when they're communicating to their, to their better half or their, their spouse or whoever else? What does that sound like in tangible real world language? Well, I think for a couple, I believe foreplay begins as soon as sex ends. Like you're always, you're always going to matter. It means a foreplay. That is Meaning, such a feminine thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning even you're not like, men are like, oh crap. Play, but you are, a woman has to be comfortable. And so that is based on your everyday interaction with her. That's based on how much she senses you respect her, respect her body. You know, everything leads up to a woman feeling comfortable and relaxed, which is really, you know, and connect it to you. So that's beyond the bedroom. That's your entire relationship. Yes. Set stage for a woman to feel that comfortable and relaxed and wanting to engage with you because women have a high sex drive too. So that's the first thing. Um, a second thing is I think it's very important for women to figure out their bodies. A lot of women have never even looked at themselves down there. And they need women, you should know what it requires for you to orgasm. And if that's not something that you're getting, then you need to take the, you know, the the ownership of saying, okay, let's try this because this is not working for me. And if you're in a relationship where you can't do that, get out of that relationship. It's not a safe relationship to me if you're not with someone that you can say, okay, um this isn't this is uncomfortable or I'm not getting anything out of this. Let's try this or I know that this is how I orgasm, so let's try this, let's try this position, that sort of thing. Like there has to be some level of um, willingness to speak up about what your body needs, about what you're feeling and what works for you. Because I think the sex is so much better when a woman is actually engaged (laughs) and enjoying herself. Um, And also I think that, you know, when I talk about the difference between sexuality and sensuality, I think sexuality is actually kind of masculine, sensuality is kind of feminine. Sexuality to me, is basically premised around the erection. You know, so sex begins at an erection and ends at orgasm. You know, pretty much. For, for the man. <laughs> for the man. Well, yeah, for orgasm woman, for the man, I mean. Whole experience. Right. And I think that for um, men, they kind of have to understand that they probably will be the ones that will have to adjust a little bit, you know, given, like I said, foreplay is the entire relationship, but on a more literal level that most women are going to need a head start. Um, and, and different women achieve their orgasm in different ways. But when you tap into that way, because we can have multiple orgasms, I mean, it can really be quite great. Right. Uh, and yeah. Well, I think, I, I think, you know, you're talking about, for, for the men that are listening, you know, here's yeah. a woman who's trying to communicate that sex isn't, doesn't just start with an erection it starts way before that and and to me like that's a i think i think a lot of men i agree with you that a lot of men are more singular focused and and Mm -hmm. orgasm driven or whatever whereas if they here's my message they're missing out on an opportunity of deeper connectedness Mm -hmm. in 
and in in a in a way that's beyond words in yeah. a way that can be very spiritual and it can yes. help them just like in the dance like it helps yeah. you better understand the masculine and feminine uh unification or symbiotic yeah. relationship um if if you're willing to like you just said i think men may need to be the ones that adjust a little bit more yeah. and i agree with that but, but the I also, payoff be there <laughs> what's that but the payoff is there uh yes there's a huge payoff if you're willing yeah. to let go of of your one-dimensional approach to it if yes. that's how you're approaching it yeah and not all guys do i you know obviously many many men are not in that way in fact yeah, i know a lot of men who are just truly in service and yeah. they also need to speak up for their own needs and and have two whole people coming together and not hey i'm leaning forward the entire time just wanting to yeah. serve without yeah. You know what I'm saying? Without yeah, it's got to be a conversation. Yeah, but it's two people aren't like like I said, two people are not comfortable having that mo- into that's the most intimate conversation you can have. Like if you're not comfortable having that conversation, you're not evenly matched. Like you shouldn't be together. That trust is or not there. too soon. Well, or or they need to develop it, right? And, yeah, and so develop. that that awareness um, is an opportunity to have that dialogue and that and that communication where you can evolve the relationship and talk about yeah. those things. Yeah, um, but there are literally women who feel who are with men that feel they can't speak up. Like, I'm sure. I, and now I'm like, that's scary. It's your body. Like, what do you mean yes. you can't speak up? <laughs> yes. You well, know. And, and that's the manifestation of the relationship as a whole. And like yes. you were saying before, it's not just in sex, but it's in, you know, you're not listening to me right now. I'm trying to communicate yes. something to you. We're out to dinner and, you know, this guy's looking at me creepy and I need your awareness to protect me a little bit and you're not hearing yeah, me it's it's things like that where it's manifests in cr- across the entire relationship yeah um, also think it's also very helpful to like study eastern sex uh, sexual practices as you know crazy as it may seem for a lot of people but i mean i think their approach is very realistic and the idea is that you know men do things to sort of prolong their erection um, and women also study things to help men not only do that, but also to increase the pleasure for themselves and for men. Like that's one of the reasons they use yoni eggs because it teaches you how to kind of um, manipulate your pelvic floor during sex. Um, and I think that that approach, that's probably the closest approach that I've found for a sexual practice that really can meet in the middle. Um, because, you know, men kind of learn how to, you know, not not rush to the finish line but you know <laughs> sometimes it takes women a little bit longer and women do have that multi-orgasmic capacity um i think that kind of creates a um you know a, a better experience so looking at sort of the, the the Tao or tantra practices also doesn't hurt yeah i yeah. agree <laughs> doesn't hurt <laughs> yeah i we're uh we're getting a little bit short on time and and yeah. i mean how can you? And we can't top tantric sex anyway, so we might as well. We nope. might as well. <laughs> how do we wrap get it up? from archetypes into tantric sex? <laughs> um, well, Aisha, thank you so much. It's been a delightful conversation. I hope it's been uh, an uplifting one. I'm I'm sure it is, uh, and that yes. it has been for many people. Um, where can people go to find out more about you and and the work that you're doing? Sure, I would love for them to visit me at womenlovepower.com. I also, it's more so for the women, but um, have a YouTube channel, youtube.com uh, slash C slash Women Love Power, but the title of my channel is Women Love Power. I'm on Instagram at Women Love Power and Aisha K. Thanes, and I'm on Facebook at Women Love Power. Um, so very easy to find me. <laughs> Excellent. 
Well, you should thank again. Thank you again for uh, for your time and for sharing some of your wisdom and experience. It's been uh, it's been awesome. Thank you. It's been great. Thanks for having me.